You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by mission partner Josh Bartlett from Wycliffe Bible Translators. Our guest speaker today is Josh Bartlett. He works for Wycliffe Bible Translators. Now, Wycliffe are mostly about translating the Bible into all the languages that don't have the Bible in their own language all around the world. But Josh's particular role at Wycliffe is about Bible engagement right here in Australia. So he's actually a great friend of ours and kind of a part-time member of our church because sometimes he works down here in Victoria and when he does, he's been a part of our St John's community. And so it's been great to get to know Josh over the last few years and he's been helping us as well as Australians all over um, our country to engage more with God's Word. And so what he's going to be doing today is sharing with us uh, from uh, the Bible. He's, and he's a great Bible storyteller, uh, so he's going to include some of what he teaches um, uh, as he goes around the country teaching people about Bible engagement, as well as just teaching us from the passage that he's sharing. I wanted to let you know that you can actually meet Josh digitally after the service if you're watching live. So if you're watching at 9.30, uh, jump into the Zoom conversation that we've got going on straight after the service and you can meet Josh, grab a cuppa, grab some morning tea and have a bit of a conversation with him, get to know him. The link to the Zoom um, conversation is in the description below. Or if you're watching at 6 p.m., you can again join Josh in Zoom through the description below, uh, the link in the description. But what Josh is going to be doing in that particular session is um, sharing tips, some very practical tips on reading the Bible for yourself and sharing Bible stories, stories with your friends in ways that's kind of engaging and not too weird and not, not too daggy and all that sort of stuff. So really good. He's great at doing that. I've, I've heard Josh do this sort of thing and share these sort of tips before. Uh, and he's just great at keeping it really down to earth. So we're really looking forward, not just to what Josh is sharing with us in uh, our talk that he's about to do in a moment, but also if you are watching live, do take that opportunity to jump in on the Zoom call after the service. Over to you, Josh. Hello, St. John's Diamond Creek. My name's Josh Bartlett and my wife Amy and I work for Wycliffe Bible Translators. Uh, we're link missionaries for you, St. John's. And today, I'm going to be reading the Bible to you and then presenting the sermon. Before I get to that though, uh, let me quickly fill you in on some family news. Three weeks ago, my wife and I welcomed into our family a new son, Ezekiel. Uh, we also have a two-year-old daughter and she's already enjoying being a big sister. Although I do think sometimes that her idea of having a baby brother is uh, having a doll that makes some noises. Um, so, uh, but I think she'll uh, come to learn more about what that involves as time goes on. Now, I'm talking to you today from Queensland, and I'm sorry to hear that in Melbourne you guys are back in lockdown. So I'm unable to be there in person with you today, but I will be on Zoom after the service. Uh, so if you're free to join us, I'd love to see you there. Now, uh, today's Bible passage, I'm going to read to you in two parts. I'll read the first part, and then we'll talk about that and about what God might be saying to us today through it. And then I'll read the second part and we'll talk about that. Um, 
The Bible passage this morning is from Acts chapter 4. And let me just set the scene for you. As I uh, describe the setting, maybe you'd like to imagine what it might have been like to be uh, one of Jesus' disciples at the time that these things were happening. For three years, Jesus' disciples have been following him around, watching him perform impossible healings, uh, incredible nature-defying feats, um, watching him spend time with people who are down and out, who others think of as scum, and watching him stand up for those people in front of the religious bigwigs. And the disciples have been learning a lot from Jesus. Uh, in fact, they probably think they're onto a good thing. They've even had a chance to experience Jesus' power working through them when Jesus sent them out in pairs to go and preach and perform miracles. But each time Jesus sent them out, uh, they always had Jesus to come back to. But then one day, everything changed. First, Jesus was arrested and executed. And then a few days later, he came back to life. And over the next six weeks or so, appeared to Jesus' followers uh, a number of times and, and taught them. And maybe they were thinking, oh, I was really worried there for a few days. I thought I was going to have to work out how to live without Jesus. Oh, but thanks God, now he's come back. Everything can get back to normal. But then, around about six weeks after Jesus came back to life, he was taken up into heaven. And now, this is where the book of Acts starts. Jesus' followers are facing a scary new world where they have to answer the question, how do I live as a follower of Jesus now that everything has changed? Now, today's passage, Acts chapter 4, is not long after Jesus has been taken into heaven. And in the previous chapter, two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, have miraculously healed a crippled beggar who's been crippled since he was born. And when a crowd gathers, they make it very clear that this man wasn't healed through their own power, but through the power of Jesus. Now, the temple leaders and the Sadducees didn't like this very much. So they had Peter and John arrested and thrown in prison overnight. And this is where we pick up the story at Acts chapter 4, verse 5. And today I'll be reading to you from the New Living Translation. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, But what power, or in whose name, have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but who God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures when it says, the stones you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. But they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. Well, what should we do with these men? We can't deny that they've performed a miraculous sign and everyone in Jerusalem knows it. But. To keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, 
We must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything that we've seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. Well, before we go on, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the Bible and for accounts like these. And we pray today that as we look at the Bible, you would speak to us through your word. Amen. Well, let's have a think about this passage we've just heard. Uh, you know, it's a bit like a courtroom drama. And in verses uh, 5 and 6, we see some of the people who are here in the courtroom. We see Peter and John, who are the accused, who are brought in into the dock. We see the prosecution, uh, the temple leaders and Sadducees who had them arrested. And they're here to tell everyone what Peter and John did wrong. We see there's the high priest present. Uh, maybe he's a bit like the judge, making sure the correct procedure is being followed. And then we see these uh, elders and leaders of the people, these community leaders, as well as teachers of the law, people who are trained experts in interpreting the laws that uh, God gave Moses and the other laws that the Jews had developed over time. And so these community leaders and legal experts, they're kind of playing the role of jury in this courtroom. They're here to decide if Peter and John have done something wrong. And so we see, uh, verse 7, that Peter and John are brought in and the accusation is made. Who gave you the authority to do this miracle and preach to these people? We certainly didn't authorize it. Well, this is actually reminiscent of a question that uh, the religious leaders asked Jesus in Luke chapter 20. And in that case, Jesus gave a very crafty answer to try and trap the religious leaders in their own words. Um, but here in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John just go for the blunt approach. They say, are we being put on trial because we did a good deed for a crippled man? Well, even so, you want to know? Whose authority we do these things? It's Jesus, who you put to death, but who God raised to life. And in fact, he's the one that God promised to send. The one who would save all of humanity. The only one through whom we can be saved. Well, Peter and John are put out of the courtroom and the jury deliberates. And if this was a courtroom drama, you might expect the jury to be uh, discussing Peter and John's defense. You know, they say that this is done through Jesus. Could that be true? Could Jesus be the one that God had promised? Or you might expect the jury to discuss the evidence. Hmm, is this really the crippled man? The man who's been crippled from birth? Was he really healed? Is there any evidence that it was done through witchcraft, which God has prohibited? Or is it, is it seem to be a genuine miracle from God? Uh, but in this case, the jury do neither of these things. Instead, the jury say what no jury should ever say. Well, we can't deny the evidence. I mean, the whole city knows that they've done an amazing miracle, but we've got to stop them. If they keep spreading this message, soon the Romans will hear about it, and it's us they'll come to. They'll come and take away the little power and authority that we have left. They have to be stopped. Bring them in. We'll let you off this once, but you must never ever again speak in the name of Jesus. But in verse 19, Peter and John reply, 
What do you think God prefers? For us to listen to you or to him? We can't stop talking about everything that we've seen and heard. In that passage, Peter and John had a choice to make. Do they listen to the religious council or do they listen to God? But you know, Peter and John weren't the only ones in that story who had a choice to make. We saw the religious council had a choice too. They themselves said, we can't deny the evidence. The whole city knows that they performed an amazing miracle. So they had a choice to listen to what God was doing in their situation or to listen to their own selfish interests. And you know, you and I have a choice today as well. Uh, the message that Peter and John preached uh, is the same message that we've been given in the Bible. The message that even though we disobey God, even though our relationship with God is broken and we've done many things that we're ashamed of and rightly are ashamed of, God sent Jesus to come and die so that we can be forgiven, so that our relationship with God can be restored, and so that all those things we're ashamed of, that God can take that shame away from us. So we have a choice to listen to God or to listen to the voices around us, which say, why are you ashamed? Just do what feels right for yourself. So Peter and John had a choice to obey the religious council or obey God. But we have to understand that the religious council had real power. At this time in Israel's history, uh, the nation of Israel was part of the Roman Empire, but they had the ability to self-govern to some degree. The council in Jerusalem could make laws, or they could have people arrested and punished for breaking the laws. There were some things that were off limits. Uh, they didn't have the power to execute someone, but as we saw in the case of Jesus, they could have someone arrested and handed to the Romans and then try and persuade the Romans to execute them. So this religious council had real power. And Peter and John's decision of who they would listen to, it was going to have real consequences. But what was the other option? Well, they could listen to the religious council with real power or to God. And when it comes to comparing the power of the religious council with the power of God, I think the Bible puts it better than I could. Uh, let's hear from Isaiah chapter 40 about the power of God. Isaiah 40, starting at verse 6. A voice said, Shout! I asked, What should I shout? Shout that the people are like the grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. And if I jump forward to verse 12, who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to teach him or give him advice? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They're nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. All the wood in Lebanon's forest and all Lebanon's animals would not be enough to make a burnt offering worthy of our God. Then skip to verse 21. Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God? The words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? 
God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root, when he blows on them, and they wither. The wind carries them off like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. So Peter and John had a choice. Do they obey the religious leaders who had real power? Or do they obey the God who created the whole universe and rules over it, the one true God? When you put it in perspective, it's really a bit of a no-brainer. We said before that you and I have the choice to listen to God, uh, to listen to the message of Jesus that he's given us. And you know, you and I know about Jesus because someone told us or because we uh, read about it in the Bible. But you know, there are many people around the world who don't have that choice. And they don't have the choice because they don't have access to a Bible in a language that they really understand. I have here some Bible translation statistics. These are correct as of 2nd of July 2020, so quite recent. Uh, and there are 7,358 languages that we know about in the world, so just short of 7,500 languages. I wonder how many of those 7,500 languages you think have the full Bible translated into it? Well, the figure is 699. So about 10% of the languages in the world have the whole Bible. Uh, further, one and a half thousand languages have the New Testament translated. And then there's about a thousand more that have bits of the Bible translated, but not a full New Testament. Now, if you do the maths, that works out to just short of 4,000 languages, uh, 3,949 to be precise, uh, languages that do not have any part of the Bible translated into that language. And that represents millions of people around the world who don't have access to any of the Bible in a language they really understand. And so that's why uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators around the world trains people to translate the Bible, uh, and Wycliffe translates the Bible into languages. And that's also why Wycliffe does literacy work around the world, uh, to equip people not just to lift themselves out of poverty with being able to read and write, but also because when people can read and write, they can read the living Word of God the truth about Jesus and have the choice to listen to God. So as you're praying as, as individuals or as families or as a church, maybe you'd like to include in your prayers um, some prayer for the people in the world who don't have access to the Bible. And also as you're praying for the world, it's good to think that just as Peter and John faced opposition to the spirit of the gospel, there are many Christians around the world who face real opposition to their Christianity in the country that they live in. Let's hear about a few of those parts of the world now. I have here some printouts from the World Watch List, the list of the top 50 places in the world where you can be persecuted for being Christian. Uh, this is published by Open Doors and you can find the list of countries on their website. Let me read to you a few of the countries on the list. At the top of the list is North Korea. According to the World Watch List, uh, if North Korean Christians are discovered, not only are they deported to labor camps as political criminals or even killed on the spot, but their families suffer the same fate. 
uh, Christian material, especially the Bible, is illegal. So many Christians memorize passages uh, or memorize verses and then divide up the Bible or destroy the Bible to avoid being caught with a whole Bible. Citizens of North Korea are taught to worship Kim Jong-un from a young age. Uh, and it's almost impossible for believers to gather and worship. There are a few uh, propaganda churches there that are used to convince foreigners that freedom of religion exists, uh, but most of the churches have to be underground. One believer in North Korea was arrested when the police found a Bible in his home. He was badly beaten and imprisoned. And a Christian friend of him said, uh, I've known this man for a long time. When he came to faith, he made a decision that one day he would die for Christ. Every Christian in North Korea has made that choice. My friend knew that one day he could get caught, and on that day he had to be loyal to Jesus. I am convinced that he can take the suffering because he constantly reminds himself of the joy that is set before him. At number five on the world watch list is Pakistan. Following Jesus in Pakistan is extremely difficult. Christians are considered second-class citizens and are discriminated against in many aspects of life. And converts to Christianity um, face persecution from their community and extremist groups. And as a result of this, many Christians live in poverty. One Christian woman in uh, Pakistan said this, we celebrate Easter knowing that at any time a suicide bomber can come and disrupt our service, our worship, and our praying. But then I think, will it really be disrupted? Or will I be sent into the fullness of worship? Number six on the world watch list is Eritrea. Eritrea is a dangerous place for Christians with no guaranteed religious freedoms. Uh, anyone who speaks out against the government risks severe consequences. And Christian activity in Eritrea is monitored with the intention of finding Bible teachers and church leaders uh, so that they can be arrested, tortured, placed in prison or labor camps without a trial. Uh, one woman in Eritrea, uh, her husband was caught praying with friends. And so authorities arrested him and threw him in prison indefinitely. She was left alone to provide for herself and her four children, not knowing if we would, she would ever see her husband again. She said, we had nothing at the time. Even the house rent was not paid. We had no savings. Even if I had a job, it wouldn't be enough to cover our costs. I was very worried and felt so alone. And when I told the kids that their father was arrested, they were shocked. I read the book of Acts to them about the suffering the early Christians endured. And that made them feel a little bit better. Well, Peter and John faced real opposition to sharing the good news about Jesus. Uh, and Christians around the world face real opposition to sharing the good news about Jesus. But the chances are uh, that you probably have never been hauled before a court for talking about Jesus. Uh, you probably don't face a lot of death threats for talking about Jesus. Um, but there, are, there is still pressure in our society not to talk about Jesus. I remember uh, when I was in high school, the school organized a week of work experience for us. And on the first day in this office where I was doing work experience, there was a morning tea. I think it was someone's birthday. There was some cake. Um, in the chatter and banter, someone made a, a derogatory joke about Christians and everyone laughed. And, you know, after that, there was no way that 17-year-old me was ever going to have a spiritual conversation with someone in that workplace. That was right out of the question. Or maybe you've seen some... Uh, opposition to Christianity amongst your friends and family. I was talking last year with a young lady who shared with me that growing up she had to uh, live away from her birth parents for a lot of the time and in one of those homes that she was living in 
Um, she'd started going to church and to a youth group. So then when she moved to live with her aunt and uncle, she asked them, well, can I go to church and youth group? And they laughed at her and said, going to church is weird. And they refused uh, to drive her to church. So she was left with the choice of not going to church or youth group or finding a church that was within walking distance so that she wouldn't have to ask her aunt and uncle to drive her there. Our Western culture firmly tells us that religion is something that's only talked about in private life. There's no place for discussions about Jesus in the public sphere. And yet, Jesus firmly told us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Jesus, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he taught us. So we have a choice. Do we listen to the voices around us or to God? Now, as a side note, uh, I've found that when faced with this uh, pressure that the Western society puts on us not to talk about spiritual things, that Bible storytelling is a great way of uh, sharing our faith in a non-threatening way. But let's get back to the passage. So we see that Peter and John face opposition proclaiming the gospel, and Christians around the world face opposition proclaiming the gospel, and, and to a lesser extent, we here in Australia face opposition to proclaiming the gospel. And it would be tempting to end the sermon here, and say the main message is for you to be bolder as you proclaim uh, the good news about Jesus. But you know, if I did that, I'd run the risk of you going away thinking that you needed to be bolder, uh, to be more determined, and that it's all up to you. But we'll see in the second half of today's passage that Peter and John actually had two important things helping them as they resolved to boldly share the good news about Jesus. Let's listen to the passage now. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voice in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. All the believers were united in heart and mind and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. I wonder if you picked the two things that Peter and John had helping them in their resolve to listen to God and not to the voices around them.
Uh, the first one that I observed in this passage was God himself. The first thing that Peter and John did when they went back to the other believers uh, was to pray. Now, here's a thought. If you were Peter and John in this situation, um, you've just been called before a court and strictly warned not to talk about Jesus, what would you ask God for? God, would you please take away the opposition and make everything easy? God, this mission you've given to me to share your good news, it's too hard. Could you just give it to someone else? God, would you punish those religious leaders for all those things that they did to us? But have a look at what they actually prayed for in verse 25. They said, long ago you predicted that people would oppose you, and that's just what happened. But then in verse 29 they say, Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness. Peter and John didn't pray for safety. Uh, they prayed for boldness in the face of the opposition. We see that Peter and John had a choice uh, to listen to God and continue telling people about Jesus or to listen to the voices around them and take the easy route out, just keep quiet. But through prayer, they had help from God himself. And we see in verse 31 that God granted their prayer for boldness. There's a second thing that Peter and John relied on as they preached God's word. Our verses 32 to 37 give us a beautiful picture of the community that the early Christians shared. Now, of course, um, if we read on to chapter 5, we see the community wasn't perfect. But we do see here that the believers were united and shared each other's burdens. Uh, they could rely on each other. As Peter and John faced opposition to the gospel, they could rely on their community of believers to back them up. So today, uh, you and I face a choice. Do we listen to God or do we listen to the voices around us? Uh, and perhaps for you, you need to make the choice to listen to God and accept the offer of forgiveness that is given through Jesus. Uh, perhaps for you, you need to listen to God uh, and make the choice to boldly talk about Jesus when God gives you those opportunities. But whatever it is, Jesus said that if you choose to follow God, you will face opposition. So as you make this decision, uh, remember that you're not alone. You can always come to God in prayer, whether that's individually or, or in your family or home group or as corporately as a whole church. And you can always come to the community of believers here at St. John's to support you as you make the decision to listen to God. And of course, that means that we need to make a choice to be a community uh, that does support and encourage one another in all things, including in the way that we share God's good news with people. So let me pray for us to finish there. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, we come before you and acknowledge that there are many competing voices around us. We confess that often we listen to other voices and not to you. We're not always good at sharing your good news as you've commanded us to do. So we pray that you give us boldness. And we pray that you'd help us to be a community who supports and encourages one another as we strive to make you known to the people of Diamond Creek and beyond. We thank you that you promised us in Isaiah 55 that your word doesn't return to you empty, but accomplishes all that you want it to. We pray this in the name of your glorious Son, Jesus, who died so that we can know you. Amen. 
Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. 